Hey gang, Tom Mullen here. Do you have a child who spends more time than you'd like in front of screens consuming low quality content? Well, you can turn that screen time into something fun and worthwhile. I'm talking about mini coders, an educational game-based platform including companion apps made for kids with video tutorials, virtual assistant, and games where kids learn coding skills while they play in the Roblox metaverse, all under the safety and guidance of a virtual assistant and in-game tutors. MiniCoders is perfect for homeschooled, unschooled, or traditionally schooled children alike and helps them build 21st century skills and have a ball doing so. Right now, you can try out MiniCoders with no obligation by registering for a free trial at TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash MiniCoders. That's M-I-N-I-C-O-D-E-R-S. Again, just visit TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash MiniCoders and start your free trial today. Every revolution starts in the minds of the people. Arm yourself for the war of ideas. Take back your life. Take back your liberty. Tom Mullen Talks Freedom. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Tom Mullen Talks Freedom. Today is Monday, July 11th, 2022, and it's been quite an eventful week on the world political stage. We've had several national leaders be deposed one way or another. We had Boris Johnson step down and resign, and we had the president and prime minister of Sri Lanka both abdicate at the Sri Lankans actually stormed the president's home and set it on fire. So we're going to have Tom Luongo back on the show on Wednesday, and I'm sure that I'll get a chance to ask him about all these things going on on the geopolitical world stage, as well as what's going on in the financial markets. So we'll we'll talk to him about that. I've also got Keith Knight from the Libertarian Institute coming on to talk about a fabulous new book that he's just published. So we've got some good stuff coming up. Today, I just wanted to take a moment and reflect on the last couple of years and remind everybody that whatever pain you might be going through, and unfortunately, we're not going through the economic pain even yet that we're going to, even with all this inflation and layoffs just starting to occur as we come to grips with the fact that, yes, we're probably in a recession, probably have been since the beginning of not this month, but not June, but May. And I want to remind everybody that this is all government caused, that none of this is just some natural event, that tough times come around and we've all got to, you know, stick together and you know, put our heads down and work through them. No, none of this is natural. And in fact, we're still seeing the, and have not even felt bulk of the pain yet that was caused by the coronavirus lockdowns and the tremendous inflation that the Federal Reserve unleashed to try to paper it over. So I want to talk about those two things. And first of all, let's talk about just the economic effects of the lockdowns. And 
I want to read you something that I wrote back in 2020. This is actually March 21st, 2020. So it's literally six days after the lockdowns began, at least here in New York State. And I think that we were ahead of everybody else in the country. And this was titled, The State and Federal Government's Coronavirus Response Will Dwarf the Economic Damage Done by FDR. So as you can see, I ne- the, the evil man with the cigarette holder is never far from my mind. I've always maintained he was the worst president in U.S. history. I still maintain that. And there have been some pretty bad ones. But this is a short piece, so I, I guess I'll just read the whole thing. During the 1930s, FDR managed to prolong the depression he inherited for over a decade by unleashing a vast array of wrong-headed economic interventions on an economy trying to correct itself from the malinvestments that occurred during the 1920s. Whenever a financial bubble pops, prices fall from their artificially high levels, seeking their true market level. This is the market's way of liquidating the malinvestments and imprudent debt that resulted from prior central bank monetary inflation, which artificially raised prices and lowered the cost of borrowing and investing. Many of FDR's New Deal interventions proceeded from the economically idiotic belief that preventing prices from falling would help. So, for example, he used taxpayer funds to pay farmers to produce less crops. At the same time, many were going hungry. By lowering the supply of crops, he hoped to raise their prices. But he never ordered people to produce nothing at all. Today, the federal and state governments are doing just that, albeit for supposed public health reasons rather than economic ones. State governments are in many cases ordering most of their populations to stop producing anything whatsoever, while the federal government promises to reimburse their losses. Reimburse them with what money, you ask? Good question. Regardless, the economic devastation that will result from this economy-wide shutdown will dwarf the damage FDR did during the so-called Great Depression. If simply limiting production caused a decade-long crisis, and it really didn't end until after World War II, ceasing production altogether will obviously be worse. How much worse depends on how long the insanity lasts. As far as that is concerned, never underestimate a government. So that was just six days into the lockdowns, March 21st. 2020. That's what I was saying. And let's take a look two years later, two years and a few months. And one of the things I want to look at is the jobs report that the government puts out. Now, for newer listeners in the past, I've said many times the jobs report is a very murky kind of, it's not like somebody's out there counting the hundreds of thousands of jobs that were created in the month before and coming up with that number by the first Friday of the following month. So they do a phone survey. There's a whole bunch of assumptions and extrapolations from that phone survey that they make. But this is the number when you hear some president say, 200,000 jobs were created in May, you know, when during my administration or or when you hear them near the end of their presidency claim 6 million jobs or 5 million jobs were created, this is the number that they're basing that on. 
and it's put out by the Bureau of Labor Statistics. So I just want to remind people what happened according to this report in March and April of 2020. In that two-month period, the economy lost almost 22 million jobs. To be exact, it was 21,991,000. If you know, <laughs> you imagine that this number is really that exact. But going by the government's own statistics, we lost 22 million jobs. And then, of course, in the months that followed, we had very large uh, numbers as far as the new jobs created, which just represented people going back to work after they had been ordered home. So between January 2015 and December 2019, that five-year period, the average number of jobs created every month was 193,000. Okay, so we lose 22 million in a in a two-month period, and then in May of 2020, we get back 2.6 million jobs. Right, so that's a humongous number. Uh, of course just like the job loss numbers in a single month were humongous before that. And then we get these large numbers that have continued right up until last month, always, you know, quite a bit more. They're just getting back down into the 300,000s. So when you hear that in June of this year, this past month, that the economy created 372,000 jobs, you might think, well, wow, that's very robust growth because, again, during that previous five-year period before 2020, the average per month is 193. But here's the rub. We still haven't created enough jobs to make up for that 22 million lost in March and April of 2020. So we're still 191,000 jobs short. And I imagine that Finally, this month, July, enough jobs will have been created if the recession doesn't get too bad this month to finally get back to the number of jobs that we had in February of 2020. So you might say, well, okay, great. We're back to where we were. Finally, took two years and boy, we really had to put our heads down and uh, tighten our belts. (laughs) wrong, but we're finally back to where we were, but we're not back to where we were. The thing that you have to remember is that in addition to making up the jobs that we lost based on what we had in February of 2020, we also should have been creating at least 193,000 new jobs every month from March 2020 on. So then what is the number? Then the number that you get would be 5 million extra jobs. So in other words, not only have we not made up the jobs we've lost, but there are 5 million jobs that we should have created in the last two years that have not been created because we haven't even made up the ones we've lost. Let's take a short break for this important message. Friends, if you're enjoying the content here at Tom Mullen Talks Freedom, you can support my efforts a couple of ways by going to tommullentalksfreedom.com slash support. 
You can join my Patreon for as little as $3 per month and get machine transcripts of every episode as well as access to my members-only MeWe group or become an all-access patron and get my paid subscriber-only articles and videos. You can even become a VIP patron to get all of that plus a free copy of the Tom Mullen book of your choice. Now, if you prefer Substack, I also post my paid subscriber-only content there, and you can find links to all of the above at TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash support. That's TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash support. Become a supporter of Tom Mullen Talks Freedom today. And now let's get back to our episode. Really, we're we're now like 5.2 million jobs behind where we otherwise would be. And then you probably would ask yourself, well, why is the unemployment number so low? Well, because those people just stopped looking for work. And if we go and look at the civilian force participation rate, it is still very low, down in the 62.2%. Now, again, all of these numbers are up for scrutiny. These are government numbers, and they always want to make everything look a little better than it really is. And then you have to, of course, also add that even when they're honestly trying to be accurate, they're not very good at it. Now, remember, some people in the civilian participation force rate declines are just retiring. Okay, so those are are not considered unemployed. Correctly so. Of course, the percentage of people retiring on their own savings as opposed to public entitlements, that's another whole question. And then you have to wonder how many people, let's say, retired at 62 because they lost their job and they don't feel like going out to look for a new one when they otherwise might have worked until 67 to minimize their Social Security benefits, for example. So it's very hard to separate this. But when you look macro, the plain fact of the matter is, is the population is bigger and we have less jobs. We have not created a single new job in two years and we haven't even made up for the jobs that we lost in a a two-month period. So again, that's all government created. If you're out of work and you fit any one of the categories that I mentioned you're just unemployed or you've retired earlier than you wanted to just because there's nothing out there for you or at least not a job that you want. We've got all kinds of restaurants that can't stay open the hours that they used to. Even here in my neck of the woods in Niagara County, we have restaurants that used to be open every day of the week. Now they're closed on Sunday and Monday. And the reason given when I've asked the owners of these places is they can't find enough people to work. So you can see that something is really screwy here. You've got that situation where, you know, there's certain jobs that people obviously don't want, but we also have this lack of new jobs created for a two-year period 
we're we're down five million jobs, five point two million from where we should be. Now, one answer to that might be, well, a lot of companies automated, and that's true. Automation does eliminate certain kinds of jobs, but companies have been automating all our lives. Things have been getting more efficient all our lives. And in a minute, we'll talk about inflation and and what we should be seeing versus what we are. But you have this complete economic funk. And because of all the government stimulus, nobody has really felt the pain that we're going to feel yet. But I think we're on the leading edge of that. And maybe by the end of this year, uh, some of the things that are happening in other countries and some of the unrest we're seeing over economic issues might just be coming home here. Let's hope it's not too bad. So now let's talk about inflation. And, you know, I've talked about that a lot on this show. And uh, of course, I have a book out called It's the Fed Stupid. And the point of that book is to say that not only is price inflation really all macroeconomic outcomes the result of Federal Reserve policy rather than what politicians do. Now, do politicians affect the economy? Yes. But what their policies do pales in comparison to the damage done by the Federal Reserve system. Of course, that includes the boom-bust cycle which is normally the most destructive part of what the Fed does, although price inflation is very destructive, and it is a part of the boom-bust cycle. But I want to talk just about inflation today, because that's what's on most people's minds. And, of course, the Federal Reserve would have you believe that inflation, prices going up, price inflation, I should say, is purely the result of non-monetary factors, factors outside of their control, mistakes politicians make, greed by, you know, corporate managers, whatever. There's all kinds of reasons prices go up and they are just the savior that comes in and saves us from the free market when it gets out of hand or overheated the way they call it. And because we are so hyper-politicized, we usually fall for that explanation because if you're a Republican or just a non-Democrat, you want to blame Biden for general price inflation that we've experienced over the last two years. But no politician can cause general price inflation. Has Biden's policies raised the price of oil or gasoline? Yeah, they probably have. And then one would say, and that raises the prices of all these other things. The price of things you get delivered to your house or even that you buy at the store are brought there by trucks or trains or airplanes, and they all run on fossil fuels. And because Biden has raised the cost of that, that's driving up the price of everything else. But that doesn't make sense. And I want you to think about it for a minute. Take a step back and realize that the price of everything cannot go up for any other than monetary reasons. And we'll do a thought experiment. Let's just say that, of course, you have a finite amount of money to work with, at least if you're on a salary, let's say, working a regular job like most people, 
and you have a certain amount of money that you have every month. And let's just say after you pay your house expenses, your rent or your mortgage and your utilities, that you have $250 a week to spend on gas, food, and fun. We'll just put everything else in the, in the fun category. And let's say you've got two people in the household driving back and forth to work every week, and it's costing you $100 to do that. It's $50 for each car back and forth. That, that might be high before gas prices went up, but let's just use that number. So you got $100 a week you're spending on gas, and let's say you're spending 100 on food. That's probably pre-inflation of the last two years, but now you're spending $200 on gas and food, and you have $50 left a week to have fun with. You can go out to eat somewhere, <laughs> nowhere real expensive on $50 even before the, uh, the big corona hysteria, but... $250 is all you have every week to spend on those three things. And now let's say gas goes up to 150 All right, so you're now spending $50 more every week for the same gas. So you're not getting anything extra, but you have $50 less left over. Okay, so now you're spending 150 a week on gas. And where you used to have 150 left over for food and fun, you only have 100 left for food and fun. So what is the obvious outcome from that? You're going to have to buy less of one of those two things. Maybe you're going to buy cheaper food. Maybe you're going to buy, have less fun or go for cheaper fun. You're going to go to the family restaurant instead of a nicer one, whatever. But you are going to demand less of other things because you don't have the money to spend on them. You're going to run out of money. Now, the economy as a whole is no different. If you aggregate all those people who had a certain amount of money to spend on gas, food, and fun, then you, you make one of those things more expensive. They're going to have to buy less of the other unless more money is added to the system. That's the only way the price of all or most things can go up. Without a monetary inflation, without the Fed printing new money, then Biden raising gas prices through his policies is only going to lower the price of something else. It's, it's inescapable. Supply and demand. You're going to have less demand for other things. So the, the one thing that, well, it's not the only thing, Milton Friedman was right about most things. We happen to disagree with him on the Fed itself, but he did say that price inflation is always and everywhere a monetary phenomenon, and it is. So we are paying through those higher prices now for the production that did not occur during the coronavirus lockdowns, and we're still paying for them. And everybody's standard of living is lower because of that. Let's take a short break for this important message. 
Friends, if you like to read books as much as I do, there comes a time when you realize you just won't ever find the time to read every book you're interested in. Well, I have great news. Blinkist offers the key ideas from nonfiction bestsellers in as little as 15 minutes. For most books and their extensive library, you can choose to read or listen to Blinks, which summarize the main ideas and allow you to absorb whole books in the time it takes to run your daily errands or commute to work. Not only does Blinkist allow you to glean the information you need from books you don't have time to read, it helps you to decide which ones to spend time reading and get more details. You can try out Blinkist for free and get 20% off your first year by going to TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. That's TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash Blinkist. Start your free trial and get 20% off today. And now let's get back to the show. How could I think about love with a girl like you? We're just running out of that printed money now. There are still restaurants closed when they used to be open. I spent a lot of time in Europe in the 2000s, especially in Germany, because we were importing hearing aids from a a German manufacturer. And I went over there quite a bit. And I always used to notice how things weren't open 24-7 or they weren't open in the evenings as much as they were here. And that it was harder to get some things over there. And it just strikes me that that's what we have here now. First, everything was more expensive there, of course, because they had the the VAT tax on top of their income taxes and all their other taxes to pay for their health care system, which nobody liked, by the way. Nobody I talked to ever liked the health care system. You know, the, the media tells you they all love their their wonderful government health care. I never actually met anybody who liked it. They only complained about it. I mean, people tend to complain about everything. We complain about our health care system. Of course, our health care system, there's cl- plenty to complain about here, all government caused as well. I've done other episodes on that. But it just seems like we're being, we had a higher standard of living in the 2000s. It was stark when I went to Europe com- and then came back here. And now we're a lot more like Europe in that there's certain things you can't get anymore. There's less choices when you go to the store. Amazon says they're out of things. I have these inserts I put in my shoes because I've got bad knees and they really help. And I found this one brand that's really helped me. I haven't been able to get those for well over a year, if not longer. So this is lowering our standard of living in in a very real way. And it's going to get worse. And it's all government caused. And I just want to emphasize that point because I think as human beings, we tend to be positive. And anyone who's worked in management, you know, when when somebody makes a mistake and it causes a problem, the tendency, of course, is we want to address the mistake. We want to realize what caused the problem. But a good leader in the private sector, never just points fingers and blames. We always want to say, okay, let's, what are we going to do about it? Let's forget about how it happened. Let's just not do that again. And let's talk about moving forward. 
you notice politicians never talk like that. They're always looking to blame somebody else for problems in society, usually the other party. So if it's the Republicans that are in, they're blaming the Democrats right now, the Democrats, they're probably still trying to blame Trump for uh, some of the things going on. Of course, that's what this insurrection theater is all about, is to try and distract you from all the problems they've caused. But in the private sector, as mostly good-hearted human beings, we want to say, okay, what are we going to do to make things better? Well, the one thing you have to do, and we would do even in the private sector, is at least acknowledge what caused the problem so you don't do it again. And there's another piece that I wrote back in 2020, not long after the one I read to you, and I'm just going to leave you with this. Now, this was published on April 4th, 2020, so just a few weeks into the lockdowns. And I'm here thinking about what this is going to mean going forward. And the title of this was, when the coronavirus shutdown is over, will anyone blame their governments for the economic devastation they caused? And it reads another short one. So I'll just read the whole thing. The expectation that governments, local, state, federal, allowing people to go back to work in a few weeks or a month will mean the economy will immediately be just like it was in January is delusional. And just take a moment to think. I was thinking that in a few weeks or a month, people, everyone would go back to work. So this was in April of 2020. I'm thinking that even if that happened, even if it only lasted a month, this is the damage I thought it would cause. So, of course, we know it lasted much longer than that. <clears throat> Two weeks to flatten the curve was still well into 2021. But the article goes on. Long-term and permanent damage is being done. Some businesses will close. Some will never rehire all the staff they once employed. Now remember those job numbers that I uh, read to you before. Risk aversion will skyrocket because there is no reason to believe governments won't do this again in the future, perhaps perennially over less and less significant threats. Would you put your life savings into a business knowing the government might close it down indefinitely next flu season? Will anyone bother to track the increased suicide and drug overdose rates caused by massive unemployment? Will anyone bother to track the increased mortality rates of other illnesses untreated, either during the shutdown or because of the government-inflicted economic depression after it? Will anyone question the wisdom of previously allowing the FDA to limit competition in drugs and medical supplies, parentheses, face masks, ventilators, etc., resulting in shortages when we needed them most? Will anyone point to these and other obvious negative consequences of government policies and not ask for more government to address them? In other words, is there any chance we emerge from this epidemic bearing any resemblance to a relatively free and prosperous society? That's what I was writing on April 4th, 2020, just two or three weeks into the lockdowns looking forward to the economic da damage that was going to be caused and the long-term and permanent damage those lockdowns would result in. And I'd say that 
that article is pretty prescient. I'm going to link to it on the show notes page. And I'm not saying this to beat my chest. I'm saying it more to kind of wake people up to the fact that we need to go back to the government and hold them to account. And at the very least, get rid of the people whom who caused all this, not to mention to make sure that they never do anything like this again. So as I said, we'll leave it there. Some Just some things to think about, because as you talk to people, and I still hear people saying because of COVID, no, COVID did not cause any of this. The government caused it all. And as we now know, and as I also predicted in other articles around the time, nothing that the government did mitigated the coronavirus spread, mortality, hospitalization. In fact, there's pretty good evidence that everything they did made it worse and is still making it worse in some places. And of course, I'm talking about the vaccine mandates and and other measures. So this is not a time for the American people to be magnanimous. These people do not act in good faith. And even when they do, they cause even more damage than when they're just trying to rip us off. So we need to hold these people to account and make sure that they never do this again. As always, folks, don't forget to check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash Tom Mullen Talks Freedom. And I've also started a Substack for people who are interested in my writing or more interested in exclusively my writing. Find that at tommullen.substack.com. Or if you just want to go to tommullentalksfreedom.com slash support, You'll find links to all the ways that you can support my efforts here. I want to thank all the new members. I even had some new members over the weekend, which is nice and welcome. And thank you for supporting what I'm doing here. And as always, if you like the music that you've heard here on Tom Mullen Talks Freedom, you can hear more at TomMullenSings.com. Thanks for listening. The war of ideas has only just begun. Arm yourself with the knowledge you need by heading to TomMullenTalksFreedom.com and subscribing to our email list. And remember, every revolution starts in the minds of the people.